0: All right, if you have your handouts, I tried to put on here quickly a summary for you. Letter to the Romans. If you're not familiar, it was written by the apostle Paul, the Holy Spirit carrying the apostle Paul along. Even though Paul had not been to Rome, he'd hoped to go to Rome soon for a couple of reasons. First, he wanted to get to Rome so he could be mutually he could be encouraged and he could encourage them in their faith. But the other reason he wanted to go to Rome is he's hoping to get some financial support so he could go on to Spain to preach the gospel over there. Because our God has a plan that includes all the nations. And so the gospel must go to the ends of the earth, and we are still doing that and participating in that today. In short, for chapters 1 through 4, the Apostle Paul was writing to say that the gospel is powerful. It is like dynamite, and it saves people. He also said that we are all evil and we are lost without the gospel. God's wrath is on all people. The law cannot save you. Good works cannot save you because you don't have any good works. Your righteousness must come through faith. God moves on to give an example of two men. He hones in on Abraham and David. Abraham, because when people thought about Abraham, especially those who were the Jewish faith, they would have said, man, Abraham, if anyone could be righteous by their works, it would be Abraham. And Paul says, nope, it's through faith. And he mentions David and quotes a time in David's life when he had murdered somebody, lied, committed adultery. And he says, guess what? David needs righteousness by faith as well. Which means we all need righteousness by faith faith Paul then showed that the promise to Abraham needed to be by faith and it wouldn't or it wouldn't be fulfilled. And then we ended that section with me asking you the question, is God big enough to be enough for you in all aspects of your life? And that takes us to chapter 5. Let me read through the text first and then we'll work through it verse by verse. Follow along silently. Romans chapter 5 beginning in verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we all have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance We also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Let's work through it verse by verse and see what God may have for you and for me this morning. He just finished up in the previous chapter explaining that our justification has to come by faith. So he leads into this chapter, he says, Therefore, and every time we see therefore in the text, what do we ask the question? What is it there for? It's tying back to what he just said in chapter 4. And then he's going to move on. Here's what he says. Therefore, verse 1, he summarizes what he just said. Since we have been justified by faith, summarizing it for us. And then he's going to say what that means in a very straightforward way. Look at this. We have been justified by faith. Oh, justified. That's a big word. I'm not sure what that word means. Paul says, I got you. Don't worry. We have peace with God. That is the most remarkable thing. That we as sinners can have peace with God. But notice he puts, through our Lord Jesus Christ. If you try to have peace with God any other way than through Jesus, you will not find it. He's going to go on to explain why that is in particular. We have been justified by faith, and we have peace with God. We're made right before God. That's justification. We've talked about this before. Salvation, overall, includes justification, having peace with God, being made right before God. Then we have sanctification, where we grow to be more and more like Jesus in this life. And then, there's a day coming that is written down. And you cannot change it, that you will breathe your last, and if you know Christ, and you have salvation, justification, sanctification, you will go for glorification, and be away from the presence of sin for the rest of your days. And we look forward to that day, but until then, we have work to do. So he says this is through our Lord Jesus Christ, you can't get it any other way, verse 2, through him... We have something else. We get something else. We Not only do we have peace with God, which is remarkable, but we actually get something else. Let's see what it says. Through Him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. Through Christ, we're made right before God And we have obtained access by faith into this grace. This is God's saving grace that you have access to, but this is also his sanctifying grace. This is the grace that he has over you every single day. It is by the grace of God that you grow to be more like Jesus. You cannot do that on your own. You need the grace of God. How many of you like grace? Unmerited favor from God. How many of you go, you know, I really don't like mercy and grace. I'd like to work for my salvation. But we sometimes think that way well i'll take i'll take grace for salvation but when it comes to me being more like jesus i'll do that on my own you don't want grace there i want grace we need God's sanctifying grace but i love the language there look at this we've obtained access by faith into this grace which what do we do what does it say in which we stand there's a picture here of by faith looking to the gospel, looking to Christ over and over again and standing firm in the grace of God. When you take your eyes off Christ, when you take your eyes off of the gospel, you get away from grace and you start to slip into works every time. You have to stand in the grace of God through faith. As you're standing in grace, here's what else Paul wants you to do. Look at this, it's still in verse 2. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. So here's what I want you. To do. If you don't walk away with anything else today, walk away with this. Stand in grace and rejoice in hope. Stand in grace and rejoice in hope. Hope of what? Of the glory of God. What's the glory of God? Well, we've talked about how the glory of God ultimately is all of His attributes going on display for everybody to see. But we know that we see that best in Jesus. He's the glory of God, the gospel is the glory of God and you who are saved by grace are the glory of God. So what he's saying is we're going to rejoice in the hope that what God has said he was going to do, he's going to do it. We're going to rejoice in that. So as you're now standing in grace and you're rejoicing, let's continue on to see what else he says. Verse three, not only that, woohoo! It's like one of those infomercials on TV. But wait, there's more. Not only that, but we rejoice. Oh, we're going to rejoice about something else. We're going to stand in a grace. We're going to rejoice in the hope of God, but we're going to rejoice about something else. Paul, give it to us. What else is coming? Good stuff. We're excited. We're going to rejoice in our sufferings. Maybe sufferings means something different in the Greek. Eh, it doesn't. Sufferings. I was with you, Paul. Verses one, verses two. I'm enjoying it. And now I'm going to rejoice in my sufferings. Paul, you got to help us with this. You got to help us. How do I, I rejoice? How many of you love to suffer? Yeah. Y'all love grace. But Scripture is saying to rejoice in your sufferings man i'll tell you what when suffering comes i'm real quick to complain about them and paul would say "Eh, rejoice see when we complain about them it's because we don't understand this we're not thinking about this so help us paul help us paul verse three not only that but we rejoice in our sufferings why because suffering is not an end in itself it's a means to an end. It's going to get you somewhere. So where's it going to take us, Paul? Knowing that suffering produces endurance. Oh, okay, if I, if I suffer and the Lord helps me to suffer well and I suffer through this, I'm going to have endurance. Now I'm going to be able to live this long life. How many of you would say that life is hard? Yeah, yeah. If not, man, come talk to me afterwards. You're crazy. Or you've got, you found out some secret that nobody else has. Man, this thing is hard. And you didn't you need endurance. We need the Lord to help us each and every day. Because for the Christian we're called to suffer and we're called to suffer well and we're called to suffer and glorify God at the same time and not be like everybody else and just complain and doubt God and question God. So, what it's interesting is God is going to use your sufferings to produce endurance. But again, endurance isn't the end result either. That's not the the hope. It's just that you have great endurance. And endurance produces character. What God then does is he takes your, your sufferings and by his grace, by his spirit, he helps you to have endurance. And with that endurance, he builds character. The ability to suffer well. In essence, here's what he does. He uses his suffering, your sufferings to create endurance so you will look more like Jesus. And then, as you look more and more like Jesus, that produces hope. How would that produce hope? Well, the fact that you're being changed, that God works in you in such a way that you can suffer well and you can praise God and he can comfort you through that, And that you're not the same person that you were before, but you're a new creation. The fact that you are growing is a supernatural thing. And so if it's supernatural, that means it's from God and that means it's true. So when you have these sufferings and this endurance and then your character and you're looking more like Jesus, well then that's going to produce hope. Because if that means God is working in me, that means he's going to do what he said he's going to do. And so I'm hoping in him. And it says, verse 5, and hope does not put us to shame. There's things you can hope for, and it doesn't happen. You ever had that? ho. <laughs> some of you are like, yeah, I was hoping for something for Christmas. I didn't get it. I mean things a little bigger than that. Could there be anything bigger than the fact that we put our hope in Christ, in his resurrection, and then if that's not true... Paul says we should be pitied the most among all people if the resurrection is not true. Because we're living our lives for the glory of God, and if that's not true, then none of this matters. But that's what's so great about suffering. What? How's that connect? Because with suffering for the Christian, God uses it for your endurance to build character, so that way your hope will grow in God And then he says, and hope does not put us to shame. You will not, I promise you, you will not on that last day when you hoped to be saved, you hoped in Christ, on that last day you will not be put to shame. You will stand before him and he will say, come to me. I died for you, I rose for you, you trusted in me, come. Your hope has been realized. But he knows that we start to doubt sometimes he knows that we start to question and so Paul is going to give us two things that are helpful for us when it comes to our hope our hope does not put us to shame because here's why look two things God's love has been poured into your hearts God's love has been poured. if you're like well I don't really feel God's love well then maybe you don't know him yet Maybe his love hasn't been poured into your heart because you haven't opened up your heart to him yet. If you're wondering if this is going to happen, if you're wondering if you can trust in God, if if what you've hoped for is going to be true, check your heart. Do you have the love of God in your heart? First thing he says, God's love has been poured into our hearts through his Holy Spirit. Second thing, you have the Spirit of God. He's saying, your hope will come to fruition. Why? Why? Because God has poured his love into your heart, and you've been given the Holy Spirit. Fantastic. But I still wonder, Paul. I still wonder a little bit, so he's going to continue on with verse 6. A little bit of a transition here, but he's going to go on to verse 6. Look at this. He's going to make it crystal clear for you. For while we were still weak, that's you, you're welcome, At the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. In the fullness of time, he came, he was born. In the right time, he died for the ungodly. You know who the ungodly are? (laughs) You. I mean, me too, but mostly you guys. All right, Paul, you're going to help us understand this. And you start off by saying, while we were still weak, Christ died at the right time for the ungodly. Weak and ungodly. All right, where are we going to go with this, Paul? It's going to take a logical argument here. Watch the logic. Watch the logic, starting in verse 7. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person. It's possible someone might die for a righteous person. Though perhaps for a good person, one would even dare to die. Righteous and good. Maybe somebody would die for them. <laughs> And look what he says. But God shows his love for us. And that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. See that? Don't miss it. You're weak. You're ungodly. You're a sinner. He just said, You're not righteous, by the way. That's what he just said. You're not good and you're not righteous. You're a sinner. So he's making the point here, and it's, and it's going somewhere. Just come with me here. Christ died for us at our worst. And he knows the worst about you. He knows the absolute worst about you, and he's always known it. And he loves you the most. Some of us will not open up to other people. Because, oh, if they really knew me, they wouldn't love me. They wouldn't care for me. God knows the most about you. Every single thing about you and he loves you the most. Amen. But watch what he's doing here. What he's actually going to build right now in these last couple of verses here is assurance. Can we be honest for a second? How many of you have ever doubted your salvation? That comes and it can be a scary time. And sometimes that comes and we really need to check into that. Maybe we don't have the Holy Spirit of God. But make no mistake, Jesus will not lose you. Listen to what he says here. Watch what Paul does. We're still sin- when we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore, man, love these therefores throughout this whole section. That's why I think I titled the sermon. Thank God for these therefores. Since therefore... We have now been justified by his blood. Much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we are reconciled to God by the death of his son. You hear that? Enemies. Also enemies. Mr. Roy, come on up here if you would. Mr. Ian can you come up here? Thank you. Come on up here, guys. Thank you. All right. So, here's what we're going to do. Mr. Roy can't be my son. There's no chance of that. Ian really can't either, but it's closer, so we'll try. (laughs) Mr. Roy's over here. He's weak. I love you. Every year it goes by, I get (laughs) weaker. In this example, he's ungodly. He's my enemy. My enemy, okay? Got to be taller than my son. (laughs) It's my son. My enemy's there who curses my name. This is my son. And I send my son, which he agrees. This was a discussion that we had in eternity past. We're going to save him because of our love. So I send the son and the son goes willingly. And he goes. And he kills him. But that's actually part of the plan. He goes willingly to die. And I pour out my wrath on My son in his place. He's my enemy. I should be taking him down. But instead, I pour out my wrath on him. Got it so far? Now here's what happens. Come back over here. Mr. Roy, right here. Right in the center. Reconciled to me. Okay? And the son... Is at the right hand interceding for him all the time, nonstop. Get that? You see that picture? All right, sit down, guys. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Get that picture. Now let's finish the text. See that picture? Now finish the text. It's not perfect, but it helps us. Verse 10 For if while we were enemies, we are reconciled to God, right? He's an enemy to God by the death of his son, much more. Now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life? See that? If if he's my enemy, and he's over there, and he would be reconciled, and my, my son would die for him, and now he's back here, and the son's at the right hand, how much more? By the life of my son. Verse 11, more than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we have now received reconciliation. What Paul is saying is be assured. If God would save you as a weak enemy, sinner, ungodly person, and change you and make you godly, and adopt you into his family and bring you over here, and now by Jesus' life, Jesus died and then he rose, what do you have to fear? He's never going to let you go. He's got you. Amen? Amen. So stand in grace and rejoice in God. Amen.